Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 25. Episode 25 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. This episode, I'll be talking with Teresa Fellian of Body Stories, Teresa Fellian Dance in New York City. Every day I gotta stop for a minute. Think about how good my life is with you in it. Every day I wanna stop and think about you. I'm your host, Sally Adams. Every Monday evening, I talk to people about making original work for a live audience. Leave comments, give a review, or send an email to sally at sallypal.com. Your ideas keep great conversations coming every Monday evening. Thanks for sharing the podcast and the blog. Check out sallypal.com join. Right now, there's a free 20-page theater resource. It's a glossary of live performance support you'll need for your show. Episode 25 features Teresa Fellian, whose new show, Rose Walk Green Ice, at Dance Space Project, 131 East 10th Street, New York, premieres this week, December 7th through 9th, 2017, at 8 p.m. Tickets are $22 in advance or $25 at the door. Just make the commitment and get the tickets now. They're available at dancebaseproject.org or by calling 866-811-4111. That number again is 866-811-4111. Rosewalk Green Ice is the culmination of work begun with home and agawam that explores self-awareness within communal bonds. During the show, audience members will find they each become more aware and appreciative of the complete self and the people around them. Performances with Teresa's very well-reviewed, highly physical company of dancers include humor and emotion and live musicians. Teresa's resume is way too long to talk about it here, but she's taught for the Ross School, the Ailey School, and many others, and choreographed for dozens of organizations and events around the world. Teresa and her company are on the leading edge of performing arts creation, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing what she says about the creative process. Listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Teresa Fallion, thank you so much for being on Sally Pal. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. This is very high tech. I love all the setting up. It's not so high tech. You'd be surprised. Tell me a little bit about your dance group in New York. Well, our group is called Body Stories because we're investigating stories we've experienced that are relatable on a day-to-day human context and sort of translating those experiences into movement. I get provoked by these experiences or images that we all experience as we go through life and then we turn them into stories with experiential a lot of times an integrated immersive way of experiencing dance i've been making work for me it feels like a, a while in a good way uh, but the company is pretty new we didn't officially start till 2011 my first professional choreography job was in 2004 and i was choreographing for the rock band fish like making dances for them and choreographing professionally since then of course i've been like making up dances since i was like six um it's like when did you, when do you not do that? Doesn't everybody do that? I still work with with young, young kids sometimes too. And I feel like they keep that alive in me. And I feel like I'd have that no matter what. I tend to have a childlike 
you at times I've tried to put a cap on that so I can be very official and then it just doesn't feel authentic. There has to be a moment where we have to stop feeling like we need to apologize for being excited or whimsical or joyful. Right. That doesn't mean that you're not analyzing life on a daily level and really maturing and deepening your understanding of things. Like none of those are counterintuitive with allowing for whimsy and joy in your life. So I, I've definitely found that balance and, and not apologize for it. So yeah, that's where the interest maturing and deepening your understanding of things. Like none of those are counter intuitive with allowing for whimsy and joy in your life. So I, I've definitely found that balance and, and not apologize for it. So yeah, that's where the interest sparks. And then it, it's sort of like, I guess I feel like when I'm in the studio with the dancers or with the students, like that same feeling is still there. That's sort of where the magic spot is. Your students gain the tools and that gives them access. And maybe there's an interaction that gives you access to their unbridled kidness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like today, I was working with 10th graders who I had last year also, so it's been nice to repeat with them. And I had given them some learned choreography. We then also broke into groups, and I gave them directions to make up mint based off of hitting all of these parameters that they had to work within. So they ended up making like four small group dances. So they have ownership of that material and material I gave them. And last week we had put the whole thing together, but today we find tuned it and we worked on them performing with a, a bigger energy and, and feeling, you know, also in 10th grade, sometimes you get self-conscious and things like that. I just saw them transform and feel so proud of what they had made. Do you have students who also, you know, former students even, who dance in your company or who come and talk to you about their dance performance later? Sometimes. I, a lot of my, in both modes, like a lot of the residencies I do, you know, uh, that are, you know, through high school, I mostly see them through their experience, like K through 12. Like I may see them at a later grade, but then mm -hmm. sometimes I'll bump into them in the city and that's exciting. I haven't yet had one of my students that was K through 12 in the company. However, they do come to our performances. And then with uh, college students that I've worked with, I've done a lot of free week intensives and things like that, where it's maybe a mix of professional dancers and college students that come. So we're workshopping an idea uh, for a project. With that intensive, I've even had dancers come into the long-term project with the company that happened through the Summer Stages program in Concord, Massachusetts, and ICA Boston. Two of the dancers came to New York, and it was just so great that they were a part of this year-long project that followed. Tell me about working in a dance company in New York. A lot of people look at that and say that's the top of your game. That's a great question because I set work outside of the city and this past fall I was in um, New Orleans and Newport and I, I got a little bit of that, especially with dancers who haven't lived in New York before being like, what's it like? You know, and like there is that sense that and I think it's because there's so much dance here, which is amazing. I always enjoy the dance experiences I have out of town so much and it's not like I think one is better than the other ever. I, it's so funny because different regions make, are made up of different people and then their dance reflects their values and their, you know, it's it's just, it's always amazing to me to see like, what's this dance community going to be like? Right. Because it's so, it's such a great way to connect with people. But in, in New York, what I found is that first I was coming out of, I mean, I didn't go to undergrad for dance, um, but I did transfer to NYU, which is in the city. And I had a, a dance minor. So I was kind of here 
from like a one stoplight town checking out the city, like woo, a little bigger than where I'm coming right. from. And all I knew at that point was New York City Ballet and the Ailey Company and a few, a handful of things. And, you know, and I studied at many studios and, and then went to Ailey, you know, later got my master's. But what I feel like I've been a part of a, a lot of dance communities in New York, and that's what's so special about it, having danced and taught at the Ailey School. I really admire that Graham and Horton and like really rigorous training and technique and like all and discipline and all of this amazing athleticism and so much that Ailey offers and it's such an amazing family of mine. And that I would also say that the dance in that group of dancing is so different than say what people call the downtown dance community. And I, I don't really like that uptown, downtown, because I feel like my heart is in, in both. What drew you out of Ailey? While I was there, training there for three years, and when I was a student there, Denise Jefferson, who has since passed away, she was this amazing mentor for me. And, you know, she was really helpful in my technique classes, but she was really pushing me to, you know, show more choreography. I would show um, choreography in the student festivals. She kept giving me so much helpful feedback and, and supportive comments and, and like putting our piece at the end of the show, that kind of thing. So, and that's always what I love to do the most. I've always been about creating dances because it does, it feels like something you can share, something, a story and performance is amazing for myself personally. I feel like when I get to craft it and decide all the, what are the movements going to be and how is that story going to be communicated? And then the performers are a big part of that collaboration and they, they take it over and, and do the communication, but we create what the message is first together. That's where I got excited about it. And it's like, wait, you can invent your own movement based off of all these vocabularies you've studied forever. And of course, I performed with many people when I graduated from Ailey, but I was also like immediately starting to make my own work out in the world. Have you had to build a lexicon for your company? Can communicate that? I tend to have really complex names for things or, or really almost <laughs> like hyper hyper images. Like we have this one part in the dance that we're currently making called Swamp Monster. And the dancers were like, why is it called Swamp Monster? Like that feels kind of like, Whoa, you know, um, but to me, I was like, it's this amazing swamp monster growing up out of the, out of the marsh and give things names like that just because then the image is like brought up immediately and that's sort of the essence of the movement. But as far as actual anatomy and pathways and, you know, almost in a, a Laban type way of understanding the energetic, every part of the movement, notation, way, Laban notation, I, I don't use that, but I do have a lot of common threads in my movement that dancers who have worked with me in the past, if they come see shows, they, they're like, oh, that's true, so there's that vocabulary. So I like to approach each piece from a new perspective and let each piece have its own dictated vocabulary that we investigate while we're working through that the process for that specific piece. I want to know more about the pieces that you are getting ready to perform and how, where those came from. This piece that we're getting ready for is called Rose Walk Green Ice. That piece has been the culmination of the first piece in the trilogy named Home and then Agawam, which was you know, the second piece in the trilogy. So Rose Walk Green Ice takes material from those two dances. You're not seeing the same pieces at all. It's its, its own piece. All three are related. They've each had a slightly different perspective into one underlying theme. And Home was all about inner life and inner investigations, like trying to reach self-actualization. We're all, we all have that 
that goal. Like I can't even begin to imagine how that would look on stage. There was a lot of vibration happening and tremors that were signifying the struggle that, you know, it's good to honor that feeling if we have it. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's like, wait, sometimes you have to go into that to get to the other side kind of thing, even though it's like such a big psychological concept. How is that a dance? If someone's hand is trembling and they touch the other person, does that make them, do they move away in an afraid way or do they help them and kind of calm them down? And so just a lot of things to set that tone. And then in the next part, the dancers use these boards and they are first kind of constricted by them, by boundaries, and then they kind of use them and dance with them. Were the boards where you started? Were you looking at the boards saying, how can I use these boards? Or did you think boundaries and you need to express that somehow? I definitely had the concept first. But the funny thing is, is the boards were sort of in the back of my mind. Like I hadn't said, oh, I'm going to use these. Once the initial concept had been flushed out, I was like, okay, I know what I have to do. Because I had these like four (laughs) 16-foot things from like back from grad school that I had pretty much made like a sandbox. I might want these someday. Um, And so... (laughs) Um, and I had strapped them to the roof of my car and drove to it. Like, I lived with those boards kind of thing. And so I realized that in order to have these both be boundaries and to show kind of navigation and working with them, they had to be more mobile than four huge planks. So I cut them up and uh, put hinges on them so that they move in three, like in three parts, you know. So it's oh, cool. extended. They move with the dancers and they, they end up being a really beautiful part of the piece. I stopped putting in program notes. I want the audience to kind of meet the dancers inside the dance and actually feel it themselves, not just watching it, but getting drawn in. And then Agawam, I was like, okay, I want to move fast with this one. Agawam has all this fast footwork and it's really communicative with its rhythms. And in the same way, the dancers reacting to each other it's like they're having a conversation in the whole dance the feedback we got from that one is that it's like a family on stage in that piece my own family but nobody needs to know that like it's not a, a personal like it's a personal piece but it's not about sure. look at my family you know? but there's there's some fun gestures in there that that aren't like the actual gesture but like movement versions of them and mm-hmm. like, does a piece speak to you and you think i need to build a dance around this piece music comes in at different points in in the process depending on what's the focus like it's you know it's always movement first but i we've worked with several composers who are amazing um uh, primarily we work with our musical director john yanelli who's this wonderful composer and then he often consults on projects when we're working with a different composer he and i have been collaborating um he's the head of the music department at sarah lawrence and we have been collaborating since I was in grad school there. And it's just this great partnership because when I'm starting a piece, we always talk about like the concept of the piece and and what's happening with it. And he knows the dancers and he won't start scoring right away, but he'll have those concepts in mind. And as he's doing things for um, whatever music he's doing is kind of like in the back of his mind and he's getting his process ready. And then he starts sending me thoughts and ideas so this song Shake, Rattle, and Roll kept coming up because my grandfather was the DJ and janitor at the hockey arena. He would always play Shake, Rattle, and Roll like in the hockey thing. And so I wasn't going to play that piece in Agawam because that puts you in a specific time period and it gives everybody a reference. You don't necessarily want them to have with them in the theater, but we drew from it with its rhythms. And we even put a couple of the lyrics in, but they were sung by a vocalist that was sort of like an abstract version of it. And it, 
it really gave the feeling of the song without having to do something verbatim. Oh, I love that. That seems two steps beyond the creation process. You start with an idea and then you layer and layer. And how do you keep it from becoming too far from your original concept? That feels like a good question. I, I guess it's because, I don't know, it's, I guess I'm talking about everything in a very theoretical way because we can't see it. I do feel like I've had times, especially in like grad school, I was with like Sarah Rudner, my mentor there really helped me to, here's this big imagination and how do I keep it like focused and make sure I'm, because what I'm trying to communicate is so specific to me and I don't want it to be specific to the audience to the point of being like, now I'm telling you this, now I'm telling you that. But I feel very clear in the ideas, what are our motivations in this section and where, where's the movement coming from and why. You're walking a fine line, it sounds like, between telling a specific and personal story and telling a universal story. And that's really what the artist is doing at their best, I think. That's why I like getting audience feedback, because I don't, it, I feel like if it feels clear to to me and to the dancers and to all the collaborators involved, you know, you only get moved by something that has a lot of depth and investigation to it because if it's not crafted all the way, then you're you're like, oh, okay, you're kind of more watching what it could be. That seems to have been our, our successful point in the fine line. That's the dangerous, exciting part, isn't it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is creating? And it could be a choreographer, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I, I always feel like I'm being my most authentic when I am being brave and, and trying different avenues. I'm always trying different approaches and then not being afraid. Always just listening to yourself in the process. Sometimes people overly define themselves. I choreographed a, an opera this year and I hadn't choreographed anything that was a story ballet since maybe 2007 or something and you have scene by scene and you're given the action of each scene and you make it into a dance but you're very much following an outline and a story so it's these theoretical concepts that I've been talking about and it's sort of like that part of the work is is laid out for you and then you're like how am I going to tell this exact story it has to communicate a little bit more exactly of course it's still open to the audience and they don't know I think I had a couple people were like, oh, I, I've never seen you do anything narrative. And like, I love narrative. Like I had so much fun doing that project and yeah. do the other thing too. And I've done commercial choreography and I have a great time doing that. Why produce something to be seen by a live audience? It's all about sharing and getting back to what you were saying of wanting audiences to have experiences. Say it's like a promo for a pair of sneakers or something like that. You're choreographing movement that is that product or more so like bringing up the feeling of what the advertisement is. And, and there's an audience with the story ballet, you're communicating the story, but the audience is moved by it. Just that sense that when you go to the theater, you follow the story that the characters are going through and, and you care about them like you would with a movie, but this is actual human beings you're interacting with. There's that pull from your mind and from your heart that's like you're in that dance with them, you know, so I, I feel like that's a strong connection. And then with the experiential work that I create on my own company, I feel like the audience, they're processing something for themselves through having to question what are the dancers doing and how am I taking along this ride with the dancers? You can't get that from other mediums. Rosewalk Green Eyes. This is a show that's coming up. Can people 
still go and see it. It's December 7th through 9th, and it's at Dance Space Project, which is at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery on uh, 10th Street and 2nd Avenue down in downtown Manhattan. And you can go to our website, bodystoriesfellion.org, or to Dance Space Project, which is spelled D-A-N-S-P-A-C-E, Dance Space Project. You know, of course, people can buy tickets and, and attend Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Each night, they can reserve in advance, or we may allow some people to, as walk-ins, to be a part of this group also. But we have eight to ten people who will be selected to sit on these stools that move throughout the space for time. Ooh, how exciting. So they're kind of like watching this piece from various perspectives. With Rose Walkley Nice, it's, it's all grown from these images that started with home and Agawam and have taken on a life of their own. So the dance is very contoured to be seen from all sides. So there's this inner audience and the outer audience is also close, of course, and the outer audience is on three sides as well. And so you feel like you're really a part of what the dancers are doing. I would encourage anybody listening to get tickets if you can, because this sounds totally exciting, a very immersive dance experience. Teresa, I'm so glad that I got a chance to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was lovely. Thanks so much, Sally. And I hope uh, maybe next time you're in New York, come give a shout out. Thank you so much. This was exciting, and I very much enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, me too. It's time now for Concise. Advice from the interview. Ooh. A short version of tips from my guest, dance goddess Teresa Fellian. Here are five great bits of advice. Number five. No one style of dance is inherently better than another. Number four. Bring collaborators into the process as soon as you can. Number three. Listen to yourself and don't overdefine your style. Number two, give your audience a shared experience. And the number one piece of advice from dance goddess Teresa Fellian, be brave. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Next week, you'll hear musician, theater director, and game inventor, Frank Gallagher. Check out the blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes. Sign up for a free creator's notebook insert at sallypal.com join. And for the person who asked, there is now an iTunes link on the sidebar to my CD that has the song Stop for a Minute that you hear pieces of during the podcast. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and thank you for listening. I want you to pursue your dream to have original work on the stage in front of a live audience. It's scary, but I'm here with resources, encouragement, and a growing community of people like us. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L in Pal stands for Performing Arts Lab. Now I have one bit of wisdom from George, my husband, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. Well, that is a wonderful piece of wisdom, George. Excellent wisdom indeed. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work or falling asleep to my modest musings like my sister does, let me know you're out there. I want to help you create original shows for a live audience. All the performances you've seen on stage once lived in someone's imagination. Now, 
Go see Rose Walk Green Ice. Damn it. How would you how would you say that? Get the number right. Oh, learn to say that right. Agawam. Agawam. Rose walk green ice. Really, Teresa? I'll, I'll take a chill pill. Off to work you go.